0: So today, I say to you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. These are the words of our Messiah, our Christ, Jesus, to his disciples. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessedness. What does it mean to be blessed? I think in the simplest way, um, the simplest way we can think about blessing, is contentment, happiness, joy. All those things that come being blessed. You know who's not blessed? Jets fans. (laughs) There's a a deep, bitter, unblessedness about being a fan of the New York Jets, the football team, if you're not into sports. And uh, if you're not into sports, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you just have only heard the name where you know that their uniform is green. Let me tell you this. They, ha- they suck. They s- they're gonna suck today, I guarantee it. And they're gonna, they have sucked for many years since, for almost 50 years. They're gonna suck uh, they're gonna suck next year too, all right? And uh, every year, because they suck, they have very high draft picks, they have a lot of money to spend to get new players. And uh, you know, they hire a new coach, but I'm driving down, as you know, I drive down to school and I turn on the sports radio and what what is, uh, what do all these Jets fans who call in the sports radio, I don't know why they call in I don't know what they're doing with their, their lives, but what do they say? Every time they say I'll believe it when I see it. New coach? I'll believe it when I see it. New players? I'll believe it when I see it. And, uh, over the past couple of weeks Jets have been playing decently well, a new quarterback, um He's been all right, but even now, even now, after a couple of weeks of pretty solid play, the Jets fans see it. Even upon having seen it, they say it's not going to last. I don't believe it. Why? Because they are just drenched in a bitter unblessedness. And uh, though though I jest with this, perhaps, unrelatable to some of us, an example of what it means to be unblessed. Perhaps that's true of us in our spiritual walk, in our faith. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, and yet we do not feel blessed. We have not experienced what it means to be blessed. or we have at one point, but now that blessedness seems so far away. Let me tell you this. True faith. True belief. A belief that blesses. A belief and a faith that produces in us everlasting peace, eternal joy. That faith cannot be produced. By sight. True faith cannot be produced by sight. It is the opposite. Sight, the way we perceive the world, the way we understand our reality, that is produced by true faith. But it is not the other way around. You see, what is perceived by our sight leads, and our sight only, leads to disappointment, it leads to jadedness, it leads to disaster in our faith. And yet, our faith is predicated upon, not our sight, but upon our hearing, and hearing of the Word of God. What is perceived through the hearing of the Word of God leads to contentment and ultimate blessedness. You see, our true faith cannot be produced by sight, but true faith can be produced by our hearing. By hearing the word of God. You see, how often are we let down in our walk with Christ, in our walk of faith? How often are we let down by our own failure, by our own inability to live up to even our meager expectations? Hey, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible today. Three weeks later, you're like, wow, I haven't read the Bible in two weeks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop cursing. a real simple. I'm gonna stop using the effort, right? Uh, I don't know. Whatever it is in your life, you're always let down. Why? Because our faith, in that sense, our faith is placed in the results that can be seen rather than The identity that has been declared over us. We're let down because our faith is placed in the work that we can produce rather than the propitiation that was won on our behalf. Our faith lets us down because it's placed in our adherence to the law and us abiding by the rules rather than the freedom of the Gospel. Discontentment in our spiritual life is inevitable. If our faith is based upon the things that we see ourselves doing, rather than the thing, the great thing, the ultimate thing that Christ has done upon the cross. This is a faith by sight. Seeing, seeing the fruit. And and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have fruit in your life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life producing these good works. But if your faith is in that, if your faith is in what you see, you will be let down. This is a guarantee. But if your faith is in the gospel that was preached to you, if your faith is in the story, the wonderful story of the Christ Christ, that at one time man fell from God, fell from God's favor, and yet Christ has won us back through his death, burial, and resurrection, and you hear that, and your faith is based upon that beautiful story, then you will never be disappointed, because the gospel of Jesus Christ will never let you down. Indeed, blessed is the one who does not see. Blessed is the one who is walking through the desert, through the wilderness, through the valley of a shadow of death, and yet still believes. Blessed is he, He does not see him yet, believes. And so, uh, in our passage today, we see a few examples of the blessedness that is produced through such a faith. A blessedness that is produced by a faith that believes. On hearing the word of God, rather than seeing the fruit of that word, even though the, the fruit is good things, what we see is good things. We'll, we'll, we'll see that seeing is good, but our faith must be fed. Our faith must be rooted in the word of God. As my first point is this: in our passage today, we see that the disciples' faith was great. They had a great faith. Our faith is greater. Disciples had a great, amazing, wonderful faith, and I dare say our faith was greater than yours. John 20, 19. On, that e- on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples were glad, they were blessed. They're filled with peace and joy. Yes, Jesus is truly not dead. We see him. He's right in front of us. And how glorious it must have been to see the risen Christ standing there. They locked the doors. Right? Nobody's getting in. Somebody got in, and it's Christ, and it's Jesus. right? Nobody was supposed to be in this room except the disciples. And here is Jesus in his post-resurrected state. Don't know how he got in there. Uh, he teleported somehow. And he shows them the wounds in his hands and his side that was pierced. Peace be with you. Wow, what a glorious moment that must have been. And then we get to the next passage. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel really bad for Thomas in our, Christian, in our modern Christian age because he gets this unfair label of doubting Thomas. Really unfair. And I'll tell you why. Let's read, Let's read what the Bible says. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." Uh, <clears throat> but he said to them, "Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger in the mark, I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe." And we read that, and we're like, "Hey Thomas, why can't you just believe what they said? All these people, are they all lying to you simultaneously?" Is this some kind of prank? Just a prank, bro. No. And yet, he does not believe. It. And so we say, ha, this guy doubts. This guy is not a real disciple. This guy is not a real Christian. This guy didn't actually follow Christ. And yet, think about what had happened literally the week before. So the Bible says eight days later, but we remember the first day. is like, like, today is the first day, right? So uh, they met on Sunday. So next Sunday, uh, he's there. Um, It's something before. Thomas just, like, he just happened to not be there. Right? It's not as if uh, the disciples were expecting anything to happen. They were just gathered. They were just afraid. They were hiding. And then they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. Nobody told them. Uh, I mean, yes, there was the testimony of Mary. the testimony of John and Peter. But they didn't actually see Jesus. I mean, Mary saw him. But... Uh, the other disciples they haven't seen Jesus yet. And so their faith that Jesus indeed is truly alive and well is not something they heard, it's something they saw. Um, the other disciples witnessed with their eyeballs the appearing of Jesus. And so their faith is actually no greater than Thomas's faith. Right? Their faith in the reality of the resurrection, is predicated on their having seen Jesus in front of them. So it's not like Thomas has some like unique doubting in his life. He just happened to not be there. And he was he happened to be one of the disciples who didn't see Jesus right in front of him. Now, why do I say then that our faith is greater than the disciples? Let's jump down to verse 30 if you have your Bible now. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Now, if you're reading out of a paper USB, uh, ESB, USB. <laughs> if you're reading out of a, like an <laughs> ESB in front of you, or you're even reading on your phone, you probably see a heading... On top of this, on top of verse 30 and 31, the purpose of this book. And I think it's just human nature. When we see a heading, we just automatically assume this is like a completely new section and they're moving on to a new topic. And I think it's a really unfortunate thing that the ESP editors have done because uh, we read that and we might see, like, oh, John's just like putting in a weird parenthetical statement. Like, it's just kind of like a. Like, a random commentary he put in there. Or we might think, oh, I guess, like, maybe maybe this was supposed to be at the end? Because that's how it reads, right? Like, oh, this, maybe he's talking about the end of it Because in the end of John, we see something similar. So we might be like, wait, so is, like, the Bible, like, not right? Like, why is he repeating himself? And so we might come up with these weird... And they are weird... <laughs> weird conclusions. Um, but this passage... If you take away that heading and kind of move it up and attach it to what to our passage, to the to the main text of our passage today, we see that, we see what John is trying to do. Right? It is placed, verses 30 and 31, is placed directly after the account of Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to the disciples on that first week and then to Thomas on that second week. And these two verses that seem just at first glance like a throwaway commentary, it speaks to the power of the faith that you and I have received. He is contrasting the faith of, of us to the faith of the disciples. Why? Because what the disciples required was to see Jesus. What the disciples required was to literally put their fingers in His hands and in His side. And yet, what is the the Word of God meant to do? The Word of God, at least as John describes his own Gospel, he says the Word of God is written so that you may believe. Even though you've never seen Jesus, even though you have not put put your fingers in His hands and in His side, even though you are not in the room with us the purpose of the word of God is so that you may believe believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and believe and that by believing you may have life in his name (coughs) indeed the disciples require sight but we as believers in this day and age, I've been brought to faith by the hearing of God's word. And in a way, that makes our faith greater than the disciples. As Jesus himself said, blessed is the one who does not see and yet believes. Indeed, blessed is the one who hears. And upon hearing the word of God, comes to faith in the Son of God. As it says in Romans 10.13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Indeed, it is the hearing of the word of God that is brought forth to us by the Spirit of God about the Son of God in, in whom we place our faith. So That's my first point. The disciples' faith is great. Our faith is great. The second point is this. The greatness of our faith is in whom we put our faith. The greatness of our faith is in whom we put our faith. The greatness of our faith is not in the greatness of our faith. The greatness of our faith is not in how we work out our faith. The greatness of our faith is not how holy and godly we have become. The greatness of our faith is in the object of our faith. Indeed, our faith is not in a reality that we that we're striving to create, but our faith is in a reality that has been won for us and a reality that is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't put our faith in what Jesus Christ is going to do, although there is is a faith in that. The foundation, the root, the groundedness of our faith is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us on the cross and over the cross. borrow the language of certain people, I mean, we don't, we do not believe for a victory, we do not believe for a victory. We believe in the victory. The greatness of our faith is not in what can potentially happen, the greatness of our faith is in the one who has happened, the one, the God who took on flesh and walked among us and dwelt among us and is the ultimate cost. Our faith is in the, our faith, uh, in another way to say it, our faith in the work of sanctification in our hearts, right? Oh, this is a long statement, so I'll say this a Our faith in the work of sanctification in our hearts should not and must not uh, supersede the accomplished work of justification Upon the cross of Christ that was a lot of big words sorry <laughs> but, right let me say that again fewer words I guess um, our sanctification should not supersede uh, our faith in sanctification should not supersede our faith in justification
1: another way of saying that
0: is our faith in the things that God is going to do in our lives like th- that is not that's not the root that's not the object of our faith right? The object of our of our faith produces this. I, I like how you're doing this. Right? <laughs> yeah. The object of our faith produces this. The object of our faith produces the fruit in our lives. Produces holiness. Produces godliness. Uh, produces everlasting joy, everlasting peace. But those are not the things we put our faith in. However good they might be, however great it is to claim them as our own, our faith is in the one who has justified us. The one when he was when he parried, he went to the when we went before the father and said, These that guy, that he's mine. All his sins, I have paid for them. Here's the here's the He whatever his sins, whatever he has done, he through my blood, he is welcome to come before your presence and your throne. And he intercedes for us before the Father. We don't believe for a victory, we believe in the victory. As, as beautiful as the working out of our salvation is, <laughs> our faith is not enough. Our faith is in Christ. Our faith is in Christ and the work of justification He has done upon the cross. You see, the greatness of our faith is wrapped up, our faith is great. Our faith is greater than the disciples. Our faith is great because Christ is great. Christ was crucified and buried in John 19. was raised to life in John 20. And our passage today appeared to his friends, his resurrected body still bearing the wounds and the nails through his hands and to his feet. That Christ, that great Christ, comes before them and now comes before us In the words of verse 26, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. This great Christ stands before us. Not not in his body, although that's what the Lord's table, that's what the Lord's Supper is. uh, But comes to us as the Word, this Word delivers peace to us. It declares peace over us stands as a testament to what Jesus has accomplished for us in order that we may live holy and godly and upright lives. And we may produce that fruit of the Spirit. And so, uh, my final point, after having discussed a greater faith in the disciples, and the greatness of our faith is wrapped up in Christ, not only is Christ great, but He is faithful the third point is that the faithfulness of Christ leads to our faithful confession. Just another way of what I've been saying this whole time, that Jesus Christ leads to a good work in our lives, that justification leads to sanctification, that that our groundedness in the cross leads to everlasting blessedness. But how, how did this happen? How did, how, did he, how did we even get to this, point where Christ died for us? Indeed, you think about a person like Thomas, and you know, again, we've unfairly labeled him as Doubting Thomas, but even in these short verses, we kind of get a sense of his personality, right? I will never believe unless I see. And yet faith in Christ, he's, he heard what Thomas said, because he addresses him By name, right? Uh, He said, no, he doesn't address him by name, but he looks at him, right? He looks straight at him. He says, All right, put your finger right here. Right here, put it in. He knows what Thomas said. He knows Thomas' heart. And yet, Jesus was faithful even to this obstinate, stubborn disciple. And so too are we, are we not? Even now, we may call ourselves Christian, and we say, "God, are you even there? If I see you working in my life, if I, if I like, if you can conjure up some passion for your name, for your word, for prayer, for whatever, if only you could do that, then you know what? Then I'm, I truly will make deals with God, right? Like, oh God, if only you do this for me, then I'm really gonna be on fire for you. If you heal this person. I'm, that's, that's, it. that's a sign. I'm really trusting in you. If you take me out of this situation, oh, you'll glory to your name, but only if that happens. And yet, even as we have the audacity to try to make deals with God, Jesus comes before us, comes to obstinate, stubborn sinners like us. And he says, come. See the nails that have pierced my hands for you. Come, see the side that was pierced and gushed out water and blood for your sin. He says this over his disciples and over us, and he breathes on them, and he breathes on us, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Echoing what God has done in Genesis as he takes the dirt, takes the filthy mud, and breathes his life into it. And just as he breathes life into the first people, he breathes life into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we can recognize, indeed, the power of the cross and what it is doing in our lives. And indeed, revealing to us, opening our eyes to the true reality that faith is not in our situations. Our faith is not in uh, whether we're having a good time or a bad time. Uh, Our faith is not in the predicaments or the solutions in our life. Our faith is in Christ. Indeed, faith, true faith can only be in Christ. And true blessedness can only come from having true faith in Christ. And true contentment, satisfaction can only come from having true faith in Christ, who has accomplished all that needed to be accomplished for us, for our sake. Even though we, like Thomas, were obstinate, stubborn, refusing to fellowship with God, he fellowships with us regardless. And so now, <coughs> Power and testimony of the Holy Spirit, knowing where we came from and yet Jesus still came, knowing who we were and yet Jesus still died. Having known all that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we share the humble confession of Thomas. Think about what Thomas must have been feeling. Knowing the words that he said, and Jesus still accepts, Jesus, Jesus still calls in his own. Jesus still says, come here. Thomas declares, my Lord, my God. I pray that we too can share in that humble confession. And no matter what valley we're walking through, no matter what pains or struggles or whatever we're dealing with, doubt, anger, we may share in that confession, my Lord my God, and yet we have a stronger confession don't we? because we confess having not seen. And so, as the praise comes up, we are we're truly blessed, and the people of God, as his sons and daughters, we are truly blessed because we believe in the gospel that we have heard, not in the holiness that we've seen, not in the fruits that we can produce, but indeed in the work that we have heard that great story that Jesus Christ who was the son of God seated at the right hand of God came in a form of flesh in the form of a servant and poured out his life for us he has defeated sin and death where it stood and he has bought us and made us his own so that we share we are co-heirs with Christ in the treasures of heaven we are blessed not because we are any holier or greater than the disciples, not because we have some secret key. We are blessed because of the faithfulness of Christ towards unfaithful people. So I I beseech you, I ask of you, as the Lord does, do not disbelieve, but believe. Put your faith in what matters, put your faith in what lasts. Not in your ability to be a good Christian, because that, quite frankly, doesn't exist. But in your ability. No, not, sorry, I'm scratching my (laughs) head. But your faith. Not in your ability to be a good Christian, but believe unto Christ, the good God.